Welcome to Nomadic Diaries, a podcast revealing secrets of life lived overseas. We use storytelling to deliver insight and information on what it takes to live, love, move, and travel across the globe. Our guests are professionals from the world of global mobility. We hope that by opening their diaries to share their wisdom that you, our listener, can benefit and enjoy more ease and grace in your expat life abroad. Welcome, listeners. Today, I'm flying solo without my dear host, Doreen Cumberford. We've had a bit of technical issues, as we all do at some times. So, my guest today is Don Ron Walters from San Miguel de Allende, right here in our local home base town. Don, you go by Ron, correct? Ron Walters? Yes. Okay. If you try to come to my house, the security guards call me Don Ron. So okay, okay. You you kind of grew up in New Jersey in the United States, and then moved to Florida. And were you a realtor in Florida? Is that was that your career? No, I was. I basically worked for corporate America for multi billion dollar companies and sales, marketing, consulting. But I did have a real estate license there for. 16 years before I moved here. So mm-hmm. I did do some commercial and some real estate transactions, but that was not my full-time um, job, so to speak. Yeah. And when you moved to San Miguel, you didn't have plans of, of uh, selling real estate, did you? you were, what, what, what were your plans when you moved to San Miguel? <laughs> well, it was kind of funny when my my wife and I moved here, I was on one page. She was on another. I I figured I paid my dues. I was in the workforce for 50 years and I'd retire. So after about six months, I happened to walk into the Remax uh, Colonial Real Estate Office in downtown San Miguel to buy what's called a VIP card. It's a discount card that you can get discounts at hotels, restaurants, and a lot of other places in San Miguel. So as I they do sell the cars there and maybe two or three other locations. So I walked in and the realtor on the floor at the time, she was Mexican, started speaking to me. And I said, well, you know, I used to do uh, real estate. And she just kept talking and talking like, well, why didn't you come here? And I'm like, that's a strange thing. I'm like, well, I'll give you my card. I had a personal card. It says Don Ronaldo. And uh, so I gave I gave her my personal card. And sure enough, the owner called me two days later and I met him for two and a half hours. And he said, he says, well, you don't know a thing about Mexican real estate, but you can come here if you want. And here I am two years and two months later. So So that that brings up an interesting question. And I'm sure our listeners have this in their minds as well. What what are the major differences between selling real estate in San Miguel, which is a very desirable area, and selling in the United States? Well, the, the process is a, a little different for the most part. The, the buyers that are not citizens of Mexico all have to get a permit to, to buy a house here, to buy property here. So in the United States, you don't have that. As far as the formalities, 
the paperwork, the buy-sell agreements, they're pretty much the same. And the closings are much different. Uh, that's the main difference. The closing in the United States, you sit around the table, maybe it's an hour or two, and everybody sorts things out. The average closing here takes 40 minutes. Wow. You go into a notario's office. And the notario, let me explain that. A lawyer in Mexico is usually at the top of their game. But if they go to law school for an extra two years above their law degree, they can become a notary. So if the government picks you to be a notary, you are golden. You're one of very few. Hmm. And all the closings, all the documentation for any real estate transaction in Mexico is done through a notary, which we call notario. So it's kind of the same, but there's a few little tweaks because of the Mexican government. Right, right. So what kind of cultural differences have you found being in, in Mexico and living in Mexico? That You know, as far as cultural identity, have you experienced anything well it's, it's kind of interesting the, the culture here mexico uh has 60 different cultures although 20 are the most most populated so there's there's factions if i may use that term here in san miguel you have the uh, indigenous and you have the spanish mixed and um, they all do things a little, it appears to me a little bit differently. Some, some of these factions are more sensitive than others. Courtesy is expected here in Mexico, where maybe some parts of the U.S., you don't have to be, have the uh, highest level of courtesy. But I found that working the, with different people here, um, I, I try to treat, treat everybody the same and, uh, they do, respond differently depending on the culture that is their their main upbringing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and has the, and i find the uh the indigenous people are very humble and introverted so mm -hmm. i've noticed that yeah and do you feel like that has affected your identity as to who you are have you stayed true to who don ron is yeah, yeah I, I would say so. One of the things, I belong to the Rotary here, Rotary International. And one of the things I noticed after a short while is that the Mexican women, for the most part, especially indigenous, are considered second-class citizens. Mm. So it's a, it is a very class society. And one of the things that Rotary does is we do microfinancing and we loan money out. So... Uh, Mexicans can start their own business and about 90% of that goes to women. So huh. while their husbands are out, most of them are bricklayers, while they're out building homes, they can open a uh, little shopping store, which we call an Alvarote's store here, uh, or open a hair salon. They'll do many different things. So when I went to Rotary and, and they, they do many things, they, they're in about seven different regular projects. But when I heard about that one, where you can empower women to make money and support their family and, mm -hmm. and build self-esteem, which mm -hmm. is very lacking. Very that, important. That really pushed my trigger, I guess. That's wonderful. Yeah, I've really noticed 
a lot more empowered women here in Mexico, a lot more than I think maybe generations before us, which is wonderful because it is, it gives them self-esteem and empowers them to help support their families or support themselves if they don't have families. So it's wonderful that you're, you're um, being part of that and helping with that. And I, I want to add one thing to the, the culture. It's, I have a lot of friends who are in their late 20s, and mm. then I have friends in their 70s. <laughs> so they all have different views politically and culturally. Uh-huh. And one of the things that they say they say here, now it's not true for all, but they say Mexicans don't read. Like you're not going to see a 25-year-old sitting around reading a newspaper or <laughs> They'll be on the phone, maybe. But that's right. They have their devices. Yeah. Now, but, but there's a lot of students, and of course they read. There's a, a great educational venues here, but for the most part, they say Mexicans don't read, and it's probably yeah. because in their upbringing, the parents didn't have books. They couldn't afford books, or they weren't right. they weren't local to a library and had no transportation. So, so many variables here. Well, and so we will see a, a great change in the next generations to come. Oh, for sure. And so, okay, that kind of brings me to how has that affected your health, your mental health, your physical health, your, you know, or do you feel um, like being around these different culturally diverse people are helping you? In, in your life expectancy? Um, actually, it's that's a great question. And and yeah, I really, uh, for my mental health and to know what's going on here, when I go out to lunch with, uh, say, one of my 28-year-old friends, it, we'll, we'll have lunch and they'll talk about things from their aspect. And then when I go to breakfast with my 75-year-old friends, they talk about their things. But at no point, do I get depressed or put back on anything? It's just, it's a learning experience. When you go to another country, it's a learning experience. And I love the fact that I can learn from multiple generations. And then I put that all together and figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and and as far as my physical health, it's much better here than it was in the United States. So that kind of connects with emotional resilience and, um, can you share stories of individuals who demonstrated exceptional emotional strength in the face of challenges and, and what you've learned from their experiences? Maybe some of your your younger um, Mexican friends? Well, some of them have experienced death mm-hmm. and they take that very hard here. I mean, they have, uh, for instance, my housekeeper lost her 90-year-old father three days before Dia de los Muertos, uh, which to me was probably, a, I don't know, the best time or the worst time. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But and then I've seen failure with some of my younger friends trying to make a living. Um, one of them who had a job downtown for seven years is now in Alabama picking cotton. Oh, so my. Make more money. And he's, he's upbeat about it, but he had to leave his five-year-old son here. And I feel for him. So, yeah, I, I get moved uh, emotionally, and I try to help them, give them support, pray for them, pray with them, um, mm. sometimes financial support. 
So mm-hmm. I do what I can to to help uh-huh. them and and try to keep a keep a positive outlook um, that I can share with them. Right, right. So did you have mentors when you were growing up and and going through young adulthood? Actually, no. My father died when I was eight years old. Oh, my. And and my mom, I think she probably had a sixth grade education. And and I was in Camden, New Jersey in a small section, and it was very blue collar, Mm. blue collar environment. And all I knew is when I turned 18, I went to school, but I wanted to make money because we didn't have much. Right. I said, I'm going to make money. So I, I worked in retail for a few years, and then I got a break to go into sales with a, a Fortune 500 company. And that was pretty much it. So the training, my mentoring, I never had anybody. It was kind of interesting. Nobody ever talked to me about uh, finances. Um, nobody directed me career-wise. I mean, my mom's, my my mother's big thing about, well, you could be a teacher. Well, duh, I could be a teacher and make 25000 a year, or I could be a salesman and make 150000 a year. So, <laughs> so, but that was the level. So I didn't have much, but when I got into corporate America, I probably had, Every sales training program that's out there, probably tens of thousands of dollars. So over the years, working in corporate America is where I got the most mentoring. But at a young age, I really got very little. It was mostly from observation. Right, right. And that was your motivation. And that's yes, wonderful. Yes, Do better, be better. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Right. So let's see. Let's, let's, um, change up a little bit for those considering a move to another country what um, philosophical advice or insight would you offer to help navigate the emotional change the cultural complexities what what advice would you give for our listeners because that's that's what we're about is is revealing secrets of life on the move I think there's so many things to consider, um, climate, culture, um, cost of living, quality of life. <laughs> so there, there's some of the factors and distance from your family. Mm. So I think all those are considerations. Um, and for instance, we were considering uh, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Panama and Mexico. And Mexico is actually at the bottom of the list. So I, I think what you need to know is what is going on in the country. For me, one of the big things is they didn't have an active military. So because that could cause problems, coups and the like. Mm. And honestly, I have some Homeland Security IDs I use when I'm traveling. And someone at Homeland Security who was from Panama suggested I consider Nicaragua, which wasn't on my list. And it used to be on an international living in the top 10. Well, a year after he told me that, there was a coup. And I'm like, well, I'm glad they didn't go to Nicaragua. So there's a lot of, you have to dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's. So we were pretty much going to move to Ecuador. And the reason we are going to move there is uh, we knew people in Florida that were from there. And there was a city called Cuenca. 
C-U-N-C-A. Yes. And it's, it's about 10 degrees cooler during the day and 10 degrees cooler at night. That's the difference uh, between here and there. And then I started speaking with people, and some people liked it, some people didn't. But the big thing was the difference in temperature coming from Florida with average 90 degrees every day and 80 to 90% humidity. Uh, it would have been a pleasant change. But the, the airfare and the distance from home came into play. Panama, a lot of humidity. You need to be near Panama City if you want to get things done through the government and whatever. Costa Rica, we kind of, the humidity factor pushed us out of there. And it wasn't as much the culture because there's so many, uh, like San Miguel, there's so many gringos there, people from all over the world. So it's not like you're going to be actually with a lot of natives. You're just not. And most of the tourists or mostly, I'll call them gringo cities or tourist cities. Um, And then we come to Mexico. And I looked at Mexico. I had been here on cruise ships a lot. I'd been to Cancun a few times and Cozumel and and visited. So in September of 2020, at the height of COVID, I traveled to Cancun to get some dental work done, which was about 30% of the price of getting it done in the United States. And I had made up my mind at that time, well, you know, Mexico's closed. It's right across the border. I know the Cancun area. In Tulum somewhat. And I made up my mind we're going to go to Playa del Carmen. So we went to Playa del Carmen and after two hours of being soaking wet from the humidity, <laughs> I said, you know, I, I do like Mexico, but I this if we could do this at home in Florida. So <laughs> move. So I Googled low humidity cities in Mexico. Oh and Guess who popped up? San Miguel de Allende. We kind of wanted to live near the beach because we're from Florida and we're used to being close to the beach. But so San Miguel came up. And when that came up, of course, I saw that for four years in a row, it was the number one small city in the world in Travel and Leisure magazine. And I said to my wife, how bad can it be? It's number one four years in a row. I sold my house in 27 hours. We oh my nine God. suitcases and we moved here. That is crazy. It is that crazy. is crazy. You know, I've heard that quite a few gringos, Americans, expats, whatever. Um, a lot, uh, quite a few of them have done it in that manner. You know, you start out researching everything and you want to be analytical about it. And, and then, no, it's just you visit something similar happened to me as well. Um, it was October of 2020. Oh. And yeah, I, I'm a full-time house sitter and I have been for 11 years. So traveling the world, house and pet sitting, um, COVID hits. I go back to Texas, can't stand it. <laughs> so I find out from immigration officer at the Austin airport that I could go to Mexico. And I said, okay. So I booked a one-way trip ticket to uh there was a direct flight at that time a direct flight from san antonio texas to morelia Ah. of all places so i landed in in morelia met up with a few other house sitters and got my first house sit in san miguel and the rest is history i've been there three years now so 
Great. It's um, it's an interesting concept when you get that warm and fuzzy feeling. And I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but the culture embraces you and the um, colors and the historic, you know, center of town and, and the people are just so warm and welcoming. It's so, magical. And I, if I may, there's two, two other things to consider. Yes, so please. is the, the language barrier. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me say this. It's a lot easier to learn Spanish than it is to learn Thai. So people would want to go to Thailand. That's wonderful. But And then the city that you go to, if it is not a tourist city, your chances of communicating if you're not fluent in whatever language it happens to be in the country you go to, that could be an issue. Since right. San Miguel is a World Heritage UNESCO site, you'll find a lot of people, yes, yes there's a lot of visitors here that speak English, but a lot of the natives, proportionally to other cities here, mm-hmm. do speak English. So you can kind of get by. If you go to the next town over, Dolores Hidalgo, you have Not so much. But yeah. I have to say that they are, well, from my standpoint, is you show respect whatever country you're in. Oh, and yeah. You oh, yeah. And yeah. if you try, they will help you. Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah, yeah. So, I, do, I do this sign language, and I think I, one of the things you should mention is uh, safety. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So San Miguel is you know it's the protected city of San Miguel. It is a safe city. So one of the things with the culture is make make sure you check the city. Go online, do whatever you have to do. Speak with people. But do your homework as to how safe the city may be. And let me throw this out there. I lived in West Palm Beach, Florida, and everybody's like, oh, West Palm Beach. Well, guess what? There's three areas in West Palm Beach that drive-by shootings can happen. So you you have to be alert and aware no matter where you go. But it's just some cities are safer than others. And I think that should play in to wherever somebody's thinking about moving to. Right. And that, that kind of goes in with my next question about advice for the intrepid. You know, those people that are a little hesitant, especially women of um, mature age that have lost a spouse or are single by choice. You know, there there are things to consider as far as safety and and, you know, checking it out. You know, maybe uh, joining some Facebook groups just to follow some people's advice and, and especially um groups of your similar economic and you know emotional per- personal preferences you know mm-hmm. so i guess we will wrap up i i want to respect your time cuz i know you've probably got a lot of real estate to go out there and sell <laughs> uh, i hope <laughs> So give us some inspirational advice, maybe two two pieces of advice that you would leave our listeners with today. Oh Well, I would say to give. So mm-hmm. give whatever you have, wherever you're going, give. Whether it's your time, whether it's money, whether you can mentor and just try to... Uh, be a good person and be helpful and do the right thing. And I was going to say that 
the, the money we give and the time we give is the price we pay for our time here and on earth. Mm, mm, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and joining us today. I My hope that, I hope that we will meet on the streets of San Miguel at some point. And I want to just remind everyone, our listeners, um, and you to share with your friends, share your episode. We want everyone to like and share. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and on your favorite podcast platform. We have a new episode releasing every Tuesday. And we hope that you will all become chronic <laughs> listeners to our new podcast thank you so much ron yeah you're welcome thank you for your time have a great day thanks bye-bye